ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار مرحبا بكم جميعا اهلا وسهلا We thank Allah Azza wa Jalla first and foremost for allowing us to come together in one of the masajid from the masajid of Allah which are the houses of Allah Azza wa Jalla in which he is praised within and his name is raised and whenever the opportunity is given for us to gather for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then this is a favor a virtue from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us something that we should be grateful for and establishing these type of gatherings is a must 
then is an obligation upon us to establish within the masajid workshops, lessons, classes where the people are learning their religion. And it is not befitting that the masjid does not have within it gatherings of knowledge. Because a part of the maintenance of the masajid is maintaining the masajid with ibadah. Paying the bills of the masjid as a portion of the maintenance. Making sure the lights are on. Making sure the doors are open. Yes, it's our duty and responsibility to maintain the masajid of Allah. ability to maintain the masajid of Allah is upon them to do so. This is a part of iman, a part of faith. As Allah Azawajal, He mentions in Surah Tawbah, verse number 18, إِنَّمَا يَعْمُرُ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرُ وَأَقَامَ الصَّلَاةَ وَآتَ الزَّكَاةَ وَلَمْ يَخْشَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فَعَسَى أُولَئِكَ أَنْ يَكُونُوا مِنَ الْمُهْتَدِينَ Allah Azza wa Jal, he mentions, Indeed, the only ones who maintain the masajid of Allah are those who believe in Allah in the last day, and they establish the prayer, and they give the zakah, and they do not fear anyone except for Allah. They do not fear anyone except for Allah. Those are the ones who will be guided. Those are the ones who will be guided. So here, Allah Azawajal mentions some descriptions the descriptions of who those who maintain the massage the first description those who believe in Allah in the last day This is the description of those who maintain the masajid of Allah. They believe in Allah in the last days. Next, they establish the salah. And for the men, it is upon us to establish the salah within the masajid or the congregation. And 
they give the zakah. And they don't fear anyone except for Allah. Those are the ones who will be guided. These descriptions are extremely important. As well as the maintenance of the masjid. Imaratul Masajid is... Imaratun Hissiyatun and Imaratun Ma'nawiyatun The maintenance of the masjid is a physical maintenance as well as the abstract maintenance. The physical maintenance of the masjid is physically cleaning the masjid. Making sure the masjid has a pleasant smell. This is what Prophet ﷺ commanded us with that the masajid be cleaned and that the masajid have a good smell. Paying of the bills of the masajid, taking care the expenses of the masajid. This is a part of the physical maintenance. The abstract maintenance of the masajid is maintaining the masajid with ibadah, with worship. Well, this is what Allah Azawajal created us for. And the masajid have been established for this purpose. When the Bedouin He came to the masjid and he urinated in the Prophet's masjid. And of course, without a doubt, he was ignorant, he didn't know any better. And the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum ajma'in, Due to their religious jealousy, they want to stop him from this act of urinating in the masjid. But the Prophet ﷺ, he stopped him. And told them to leave the individual. And the scholars they mention, this is from the great wisdom of the Prophet. Because whenever we are faced with two evils, the religion teaches us to repel the greater evil with the lesser of the two evils. Yes, it is an evil that someone is urinating in the masjid, on the floor, on the ground, where the people have to prostrate, the people have to pray. 
But at the same time, if the Prophet ﷺ would have left the companions to go and stop this man, then this would have opened up the situation for the urine being in more than one area instead of one area now. Because when they go to physically stop him, that may cause him now to move as he's urinating. And now the urine is in more than one area. It may cause his privates now to be exposed to others. Because of him being one who was ignorant of the rule and didn't know any better, this experience could have been one to run him and chase him away from ever wanting to come back to the masjid again. Because of how he was treated. And he didn't know any better. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he mentioned when he would send the people out to give da'wah Bashiru wala tunafiru yassiru wala tu'assiru Give glad tidings. Don't chase the people away. Make things easy and do not make things difficult upon the people. So these are some of the greater harms that were avoided by the Prophet ﷺ telling the companions to leave him, let him finish. And then once the individual he finished urinating in the masjid and he was a Bedouin, the Prophet ﷺ, he called him. And he said, In the masajid, لا تصف لشيء من هذا البول إنما هي لذكر الله عز وجل والصلاة وقراءة القرآن The Prophet ﷺ said to him indeed these places of worship are not suitable that there be anything from this urine or any impurities to be inside of it the masajid are only for the remembrance of Allah for the establishment of the prayer and the recitation of the Quran. And then the Prophet ﷺ commanded that some water be poured over the place where the man urinated. What's the point? The Prophet ﷺ mentioned in this narration the purpose of the masajid. The remembrance of Allah. The establishment of the salah. Which is a part of the remembrance of Allah. And the recitation of the Quran. Which is also a part of the remembrance of Allah. The remembrance of Allah. Also entails learning the religion. It is important. Now we study our deen so that we are worshipping Allah Azawajal upon knowledge and not ignorance. But this is the way of the Nasara, the Christians, 
worship Allah based upon ignorance. We say at least 17 times a day, اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا الضَّالِّينَ Guide us to the straight path. The path of those whom your favor is upon. Not the path of those whom your anger is upon, nor those whom are astray. We covered earlier in the khutbah, guide us to the straight path, is the dua that Allah commands us to make, being that we are commanded to recite Surah Al-Fatiha in every prayer. And there is no prayer without the Fatiha, as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بفاتحة الكتاب There is no prayer for the one who does not recite the opening chapter of the book. And that which is correct from the positions of the ulama is that the Fatiha is to be recited in every raka'ah by the Imam as well as the followers. And you have from amongst the ulama those who say that in the audible prayers, the recitation of the Imam suffices the people. But that which is safest for one to observe is that he himself recites the Fatiha. Due to the generality of the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, and also the narration that's in the Sunan of Abi Dawood, where the Prophet ﷺ mentioned to the Sahaba that they should not recite behind him except for the Fatiha. In any event, in the Fatiha, is the statement, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ Guide us to the straight path. The path of those whom your favor is upon. Who are these individuals that Allah has favored? As Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهُ الرَّسُولُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءَ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا And whoever obeys Allah and the Messenger, then those are the ones who are with those whom Allah has favored. So obeying Allah and obeying the Messenger puts the individual in the position of being favored by Allah. And disobeying Allah and the Messenger brings about the opposite. If you disobey Allah and His Messenger, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you put yourself in a position 
to be outside of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But being obedient to Allah and the Messenger, it makes you to be from amongst those whom Allah has favored. Who are they? The prophets. The truthful. The martyrs. And the righteous. And those individuals, they are the beautiful, good company. Good companionship. What do these categories of people have in common? Prophets, truthful, martyrs, and righteous. What do these categories of people have in common? The commonality between these categories of people, two matters. Al-ilm al-nafi' wal-amul al-salih. The beneficial knowledge and righteous actions to accompany the knowledge. Every group, this is their characteristic. This is what they share in. Even though there are differences between the groups or the categories that people mention, but that which they share in is that these individuals or categories of people, they were possessors of beneficial knowledge and righteous actions. How do we know that? Because look what comes after Allah mentions not the path or the path that is to the straight path, the path of those whom your favor is upon, not the path of those whom your anger is upon, nor those who are straight. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he mentioned Al Magbub Alayhim Humul Yahud. The Prophet ﷺ, he stated, Those whom Allah's anger is upon, they are the Yahud, the Jews. And those who are astray, they are the Nasara, the Christians. The scholars, they explain, the reason why Allah's anger is upon the Yahud, because they are people who have knowledge, but they don't practice what they know. And the reason why the Nasara are astray, because they are individuals who have practice, but it is based upon ignorance. So go back to those whom Allah's favor is upon. They are not from them nor the others. So that means that they have both beneficial knowledge and righteous actions. Different from the way of the Yahud and different from the way of the Nasara. The treaties that we will be covering and by the permission of Allah we will complete is from the works of Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala and it deals with the obligation 
of the servant when Allah commands him with a commandment. The obligation of the servant when Allah commands him with a commandment. To start, Allah Azzawajal, He mentions the purpose of creation in the Quran, Surah Al-Dhariyat, verse number 56, وَمَا خَلَقُتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Allah He mentions in the Quran, And I have not created the jinn nor the mankind except to worship me, meaning Allah. Here, Allah establishes the wisdom and the purpose behind creation of mankind and the jinn. For the jinn and mankind did not create themselves. And likewise, the jinn and mankind have not been created without purpose. Allah Azawajal is the creator. And Allah Azawajal created the creation with a purpose. For the creation to be created without a purpose, then this is an opposition to wisdom. And we know from the attributes of Allah is Al-Hikmah. Allah is Al-Hakim. Allah is the All-Wise. So all of the universal decrees as well as the legislative decrees are based upon the wisdom of Allah Allah's actions are not void of wisdom Allah's decrees are not void of wisdom different from man a human being makes a decision and there was no wisdom in that decision that's possible But it's not possible for Allah to ever do anything, decree anything, legislate anything, except that that matter has within it hikmah, wisdom. Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions, وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاءَ وَالْعَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا لَاعِبِينَ And we have not created the heavens and the earth and that which is in between out of sport and play, meaning without hikmah. Allah didn't just create the heavens and the earth and that which is in between and then there's no purpose behind the creation. Allah Azza wa 
He mentions elsewhere in the Quran. وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاءَ وَالْعَرْضُ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا بَاطِلًا ذَلِكَ ظَنُّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَوَيْلٌ لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنَ النَّارِ And we have not created the heavens and the earth and that which is in between them out of falsehood. That is the thoughts and the beliefs of those who disbelieve. Meaning that the creation is here and there is no purpose. We're just here. Now that's the, the, the belief of those who disbelieve. That everything that is in existence is just here. Without any purpose. Allah goes on to say, So woe to those who disbelieve from the punishment that's in the hellfire. So those who disbelieve, they think that there is no purpose behind the creation of mankind. No, there is a purpose. And Allah, He clarifies that in the Quran. Alhamdulillah, as a side point, the Quran explains itself. Likewise, the Sunnah explains the Quran. And with that being said, it is not possible for anyone to come and give their own interpretation for the Quran. And that interpretation entails falsehood, except that there is a refutation for that false interpretation in the Quran itself or in the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or in that which was taught to the Sahaba and even at times in the language, in the Arabic language itself as you have individuals in this day and time who like to give their own interpretations of the Quran and even worse than that, individuals who do not know the Arabic language, given their interpretations of the translated meaning of the Quran. Ya Rabb. Person is not grounded in the Arabic language, explaining the Quran from the translated meaning that's in the English language. He gives his interpretation of that. Not knowing the Arabic. And then in the Arabic is a refutation of that person's interpretation. In any event, Allah has not created creation without purpose. Because Allah is Al-Hakim, He's All-Wise. Allah is Al-Alim, the All-Knowing. Nothing escapes the knowledge of Allah. Allah knows all things. So when Allah legislates the legislation, 
And when Allah, when, and when Allah decrees the, the decrees for the universe, or He has decreed the decrees for the universe, it is based upon His ilm, His hikmah, and other than that. His knowledge, His wisdom, so things are in their proper places. Allah Azza wa Jalla states, "Afahasibatum anma khalaqnakum abtha, wa annakum ilayna la turjaun, fataala Allahu al-Malik al-Haq, la ilaha illa huwa Rabb al-Arsh al-Karim." Allah states. Do you think that we created you without purpose? And that you will not be returned to us? Us here, Allah. He's mentioning himself with the royal we. Not that there's Allah and someone else. Allah is speaking about himself. That you will not be returned to us, meaning him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah, he is entitled to describe himself with that royal we. He says, Glory be to Allah and how far he is removed from any imperfection. The king, the truth. None has the right to be worshipped except for Him, the Lord of the Noble Throne. With this being mentioned or said, and knowing that the purpose of creation is to worship Allah Azza wa Jal, then it is upon us to know what is worship. How do we worship? Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala he mentioned a beautiful definition for ibadah. And this is found in the treaties of servitude. He said, Al-Ibadah ismun jami'un likulli ma yuhibbuhu Allahu wa yardak min al-aqwal wal-a'mal al-zahira wal-baqina that worship is an all-inclusive, comprehensive term or word for everything that Allah loves, for everything that Allah is pleased with, from statements and actions that are outward and inward. Again, ismun jami'un likulli ma yuhibbuhu Allahu wa yarba. من الأقوال 
والأعمال الظاهرة والباطنة An all-inclusive, comprehensive word or term for everything that Allah loves and everything that Allah is pleased with from statements, from actions that are outward and inward. This is as the ulama have mentioned who came after Shaykh al-Islam ibn Faymiyyah, one of the best definitions there is for ibadah, if not the best. Because it covers everything. Number one, everything Allah loves. Two, everything that Allah is pleased with. Three, from statements. Four, from actions. Five, that which is outward, six, that which is inward. The example of the outward statement that Allah loves and is pleased with, La ilaha illallah. That's ibadah. The statement of La ilaha illallah is a statement of worship. None has the right to be worshipped except for Allah. This is the statement of all prophets and messengers. All prophets and messengers, they called the people to worship Allah alone. Different from the false prophets and the false messengers. Who called the people to worship other than Allah. And even at times, themselves. They called the people to worship them. The real and true prophets and messengers, they were sent to call the people to worship Allah, the Creator, not the creation. As Allah mentions, And indeed, we have sent in every nation a messenger. People like to quote that. Yes, Allah has sent in every nation a messenger. But what these messengers call to? Worship Allah alone. And avoid the worship of the false deities. That was the call of the prophets and the messengers. Allah Azawajal mentions, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ Allah addresses the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying to him, and we have not sent before you from a messenger except that we have revealed to this messenger worship Allah or none has the right to be worshipped Except for Allah. Allah speaks here, except for me, meaning Allah. Therefore worship me, meaning Allah. This message here is found nowhere except 
within the deen of Allah Azza wa As Allah Azza wa Jal, he mentions, أَفَغَيْرَ دِينِ اللَّهِ يَبْغُونَ Do they desire other than the deen of Islam? وَلَهُ أَسْلَمَ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ تَوْعًا وَقَرْهًا وَإِلَيْهِ يُرْجَعُونَ so do they desire other than the deen of Allah? Do they desire other than the deen of Allah? Meaning do they desire other than the deen of Islam? As Allah mentions, Islam, That indeed the deen that is accepted by Allah is Islam. It's the only deen that Allah accepts. The only way of life Allah accepts is Islam. As Allah Azzawajal mentions in another verse, وَمَنْ يَبْتَغِي غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا فَلَنْ يُقْبَلَ مِنْ وَهُوَ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ That whoever desires a way of life other than Islam, whoever has a deen other than Islam, it will never be accepted from him. Never. Allah says, لَنْ The word لَنْ is used لَنْ in the Arabic language means never. And then in the hereafter, he will be from amongst the losers. So do they desire other than the deen of Allah? Other than Islam? And what is Islam? The Islam that Prophet Muhammad وسلم, came with. Islam that is based upon the Quran and the Sunnah. This is Islam. And prior to Prophet Muhammad وسلم, that which the prophets and the messengers came with was Islam. So whoever desires other than what the prophets and the messengers came with, then they are upon a way other than Islam. So the Prophet Muhammad he's the last prophet and messenger. He came with Islam. Anyone desiring other than what he came with is not upon the way of Islam, even if they say this is Islam, Islam is not what you want it to be. Islam is what Allah has revealed. The deen of Allah. Allah says, do they desire other than the deen of Allah while those who are in the heavens and the earth have submitted to him willingly or unwillingly. And to him is their return. The author... have mercy upon him. He stated, إِذَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ الْعَبْدَ بِأَمْرٍ وَجَبَ عَلَيْهِ فِيهِ سَبْعُ مَرَاتٍ That whenever Allah commands the servant with a commandment, 
obligatory upon him to observe seven stages regarding the commandment. Whenever Allah commands a servant with a commandment, it is obligatory upon the servant to observe seven stages regarding the commandment. Anyone has the Arabic text with them? I brought some. I should have some. Love it. I, I noticed that there was a, a... If you can bring it. You have it? Give me one copy, inshallah. Now. If you notice on here, there's, there's a, a mistake here. Here it has, إِذَا أَمَرَ اللَّهَ This is a mistake. It should be, إِذَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ Because Allah is the one who is commanding. إِذَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ So whoever has this would make change that fatha to a dhamma. So it's إِذَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ when Allah commands, not when someone has commanded Allah. If it is either Amar Allah, that means when He commanded Allah. And no one can command Allah to do anything. Allah is the one who gives the commands, and not that He receives commands. Even in the du'as, like the verb here is It's a command verb. But it doesn't mean you're commanding Allah. Whenever a command verb is being addressed to one who is above, it means request. Guide us. Linguistically, that is a command. It's, a command, it's the command verb. Guide us to the straight path. But it doesn't mean that you're commanding Allah. It means you're requesting. Because no one can command Allah as a wajah. So, إِذَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ so here it shows Al-Abda, this is the Maf'ul Bi, the one who is being commanded. Here Allah is the Fa'il, the one who is doing the act, and the Abd is the one who is receiving. He is on the receiving end. So Allah is the one who is commanding, and the servant is the one who is being commanded. So either Amar Allahu Al-Abda Bi Amrin, when Allah commands the servant with a command, وَجَبَ عَلَيْهِ فِيهِ سَبْعُ مَرَاتٍ It is obligatory upon him, meaning the servant, to observe seven levels regarding the command. الْأُولَى الْعِلْمُ بِهِ The first level, he has to have knowledge of the command. The second level, he must love the commandment. 
الثالثة العزم على الفعل The third level he must have the firm resolve to carry out the commandment he has the intentions to carry out the commandment الرابعة العمل The fourth level is that he carries out the commandment or the fourth stage is that he carries out the commandment الخامسة قونه يقع على المشروع خالصا صوابا The fifth stage is that the commandment takes place in a manner that is legislated or the carrying out of the commandment takes place in a manner that is legislated sincerely and correctly خالصاً صواباً السادسة التحذير من فعل ما يحبثه The sixth level or the sixth stage taking caution from doing anything that will nullify your act of carrying out the command. Asabi'ah, the seventh stage and the last stage, Athabatu Ali, being firmly established upon it. These are the seven stages. That the servant must observe when Allah commands the servant with a commandment. And this is for both men and women. It's not just for the men. This is for both men and women. Why? As the Prophet ﷺ, he said, the women are the twin halves of men. What does this mean? This means that whatever goes for the men, it goes for the women. Except in a case when the text is specifically addressed to the men, excluding the women, or specifically addressed to the woman excluding the men. Other than that, the general rule is whatever goes for the men goes for the woman. But there are rules and regulations in Islam that are specific for men, it excludes the woman. And there are rules and regulations in Islam that are specific for the woman and excluding the men. But the majority of the rules and regulations are for both men and women. The commandment of Allah here is referring to the legislative command or the legislative command. And the legislative or legislative command is found in the Quran or in the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa As these are the two sources of revelation. In both the Quran as well as the Sunnah, a guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
Allah Azze wa Jalla mentioned regarding the Quran, Alif Lam Mim, ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه هدى للمتقين. Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions Alif Lam This is the book which there is no doubt within it, guidance for those who have piety. Allah describes the Quran as being guidance. Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions in the Hadal Quran, Yahdi Lilati Hiya Akwam. Indeed, this Quran it guides to that which is more just. The Quran is guidance. The sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam is also guidance. The Prophet Wasallam he mentioned, "Ala inni utitul kitab mithlahu ma'ak." That indeed I have been given the book and its like along with it. What is meant by its like? Meaning the sunnah. How is the sunnah similar to the Quran? The aspect of it being revelation. That's the similarity. The aspect of it being a source and a means of guidance. That's the similarity. The aspect of it being free from error. And it being perfect and complete. That's the similarity. This is the similarity between the Quran and the Sunnah. Yes, the Quran is the speech of Allah and is not created. And that separates it from the Sunnah. But the Sunnah is also revelation from Allah. As Allah Azza wa Jal mentions regarding the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَمَا يَنْتِكُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيُ يُحَىٰ and he does not speak from his desires, it's only revelation revealed to him. So when the Prophet ﷺ taught the people the religion, this is the revelation from Allah Azza wa This is not from the Prophet's own whims and his desires. Well, the Prophet relayed to the people what Allah revealed to him to relate. So the commandment of Allah is found in the Qur'an and the commandment of Allah is found in the Sunnah. Because when the Messenger وسلم, is commanding us to do something, that's the commandment of Allah As Allah mentions in the Qur'an, وَمَن يُتِعِ الرَّسُولِ فَقَدْ أَطَاعَ اللَّهِ And whoever obeys the Messenger, he has obeyed who? He has obeyed Allah. Why this statement? Because Allah is establishing that the commandments that are coming from the Prophet Muhammad these are not his own commandments. This is what he is conveying to the people from Allah. So when Allah mentions, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا دَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ شَدِيرُ عِقَابُ 
And whatever the messenger gives you, what? Take it. And whatever the messenger forbids you, what? Forbids you from what? Leave it off. Abstain from it. But look how Allah ends it. And fear Allah. Indeed, Allah severe punishment. So Allah at the end is mentioning Himself. So that we know that what the messenger is giving us, it is coming from him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not something that the messenger made up on his own. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah is threatening you with his punishment. And fear Allah. Indeed Allah is severe punishment. Because when the messenger tells us to do something, this is coming from Allah. When the messenger forbids us from something, this is coming from Allah. This is not coming from himself. Unlike the fake and false prophets and messengers. The author he mentions Wajiba Alihi Fihi Sabru Maratin. It is obligatory upon the servant regarding this commandment to observe seven stages. That which is obligatory is one of the five rules of responsibility. Al-Ahkam al-Taklifiyah al-Khamsa. There are five rules of responsibility. Number one, al-Wajib. That which is obligatory. Number two, al-Mustahab. That which is recommended. Number three, Al-Muharram, that which is prohibited. Number four, Al-Makroor, that which is disliked. And then you have number five, Al-Mubah, that which is merely permissible. That which is wajib, it is that which if the servant carries it out, out of obedience to Allah, he's rewarded for it. If the servant carries it out, out of obedience to Allah, he's rewarded. And the key word here, out of obedience to Allah. Because you have, at times, a person may carry out the commandment of Allah, but it's not out of obedience to Allah. It's out of showing off. It's not accepted. He did not fulfill his responsibility. Or a person does it because this is the customary act. He has not fulfilled his duty and responsibility. Carrying out the obligations is to be done out of obedience to Allah, seeking the reward from Allah, worshipping Allah. Very important this point is. And if he does not carry it out, he is entitled to punishment. If he does not carry it out, he is entitled to punishment. Wa alaikum salam.
The second matter, al-mustahab, that which is recommended. And that which is recommended, it is that which, if the servant carries it out, out of obedience to Allah, he is rewarded. And if he does not carry it out, he's not entitled to punishment, because it is a recommendation, not an obligation. The third matter, Al-Muharram, and it is that which, if the servant leaves it off, out of obedience to Allah, he is rewarded. And again, the key word, he leaves it off out of obedience to Allah. Because you may have an individual, he leaves off that which is haram, but is not done for the sake of Allah. There's no reward in this case. Like a person... He doesn't drink hummer because he doesn't like the taste of beer. Not because Allah prohibited, but because he doesn't like the taste of beer or the taste of liquor, so he doesn't drink. He's not rewarded for not drinking because it's not done. Lillahi It's not done for Allah. He just doesn't like the taste. Doesn't, he doesn't care to drink. A person, he doesn't eat pork. Why? Because all of his friends don't eat pork. So he doesn't eat pork. And he doesn't want to be ridiculed by his friends. There's no reward for that. Because he's not leaving off the act of consuming the flesh of swine because Allah prohibited it, he's leaving it off to escape the criticism and the ridicule of his peers. There's no reward in that. A person leaves off committing zina because he fears catching an STD. Not because Allah says it's haram or Allah prohibited it, but he fears catching something that he can't get rid of. So he said, I'm not playing around with the woman. There's no reward in that. Because it's not done lillah azawajal. So when it comes to that which is muharram, The one who leaves it off out of obedience to Allah, he's rewarded. But the one who indulges in it, he's entitled to punishment. Al-Makruh, the one who leaves it off out of obedience to Allah, he's rewarded. And the one who indulges in it, it is, he's not entitled to punishment. Why? Because it is something that is disliked. It's not prohibited. And then lastly, 
you have al-mubah, that which is merely permissible, not connected to lawful and unlawful, permissible. An example of al-wajib, the five daily prayers, as-salawatul khams, the five prayers, this falls under the category of being obligatory. Fasting in Ramadan, this falls under that category of being wajib, that which is obligatory. An example of al-mustahab, that which is recommended. The sunnah prayers that are connected to the obligatory prayers. The ones which the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that whoever prays 12 extra raka'ah in a day, then Allah will build for him a house in the paradise. Two raka'ah before Fajr. Four raka'ah before Dhuhr. Two raka'ah after Dhuhr. Two raka'ah after Maghrib. Two raka'ah after Isha. This is the example of that which is recommended. Or praying the night prayer, Qiyamul Layl, or Tahajjud, or the winter. This is that which is recommended. That which falls under the category of Al Muharram, Al Zina, Shabul Khamar, fornication, adultery, consuming intoxicants, stealing, Aklu Riba, Consuming interest, usury. Al-Kadib, lying, al-Ghish, deception. Other than that from the prohibited affairs. An example of that which is makruh, talking after Isha. The Prophet ﷺ, he disliked to talk after Isha. Why? Because he would like to go to rest so that he can get up later on to pray the Qiyam Layl, the Hajj. But at times the Prophet would speak after Isha, he had guests, or he was teaching, or he was interacting with his family. But normally, if you don't have a need to stay up after Isha, it is from the sunnah that a person should go straight to bed. He prays Isha and then he goes to sleep. And then Mubah, eating, drinking, sleeping, running, walking. These are just merely permissible, not connected to Lawful, unlawful. But, as the Ulama mentioned, the everyday common activities of the person who is aware and alert is worship. Why? Because when the individual who is alert, who is mindful of Allah, when he goes to work, which is merely permissible, when he goes to work, his intention is to earn a living that is halal. So now, 
His eight hours at work is Ibadah. Because when he's mopping the floor, cleaning the toilets, taking out the garbage, checking the patient, whatever your lawful occupation is, the intent of the individual is he's working a lawful job to earn lawful wealth. So now that job becomes Ibadah. But this is for a person who's mindful. When the individual goes to take his morning job, his intention is to strengthen his body so that he can worship Allah with his strength. So now, his one, two, three mile run is an ibadah. But a person who's not mindful, who's not thinking like that, his run is just some good cardio. That's it. Permissible. He goes to work, legal job, earns money. Permissible. A person takes a nap, but his intention of taking a nap, again, strengthening his body so he can worship Allah. A person goes to bed early. For what? Strengthen his body to worship Allah. Now his sleep becomes ibadah. Different from the person, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep, I got to get up in the morning. He just got a good night's sleep, that's it. No, no, no reward for the sleep. But the one who was mindful, the one who was alert, his everyday normal activities are worshipped because of his intention. And likewise, there's a flip side. Whenever a person uses that which is lawful with the intent of that which is haram, then that matter itself becomes haram. he mentions these seven stages knowledge of the command loving the command having the firm resolve to carry out the command carrying out the command the co carrying out the command that's number uh, four number five the command taking place in a manner that is legislated sincerely and correctly Number six, taking caution from doing anything that will nullify his act of carrying out the command. Number seven, being established upon carrying out the command. The author, he goes on to say, أحل البيع وحرم الربا أو عرف أن الله حرم أكل مال اليتيم وأحل وأحل لوليه أن يأكل بالمعروف إن كان فقيرا وجب عليه أن يعلم المأمور به ويسأل عنه إلى أن يعرفه ويعلم المنهي عنه the author, he states that when the person knows 
that Allah has commanded with monotheism. And as a side point, the greatest commandment of Allah is the commandment of worshipping Him alone. When we look at the Quran and how the sword are arranged, the first commandment in the Quran addressed to mankind is what? Huh? Ya Yuhannas, Urbudu, Rabbakum Ladi, Kholapakum, Waladina Minkabalikum, Laalakum Tatakum. That's the actual first commandment in the Quran addressed to mankind. O mankind, worship your Lord who created you and created those before you in order that you may attain piety. That in itself is an indication that. The commandment of worshipping Allah is the greatest commandment. Allah addressed it towards mankind. And it's right there in the beginning of the Quran. So the author, he mentions the greatest command from the commandments of Allah. The commandment of a tawheed Of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And why is Allah Azza wa Jal deserving to be worshipped alone? Because of the other aspects of Tawheed. Tawheed of Ububiyyah. The Islamic monotheism as it relates to the Lordship of Allah. That Allah alone is the creator. Allah alone is the provider. Allah alone is the sustainer. Allah alone gives life. Allah alone causes death. Allah alone controls everything in the universe. Allah alone. So Allah alone is deserving of worship. No one has these characteristics. No man, no prophet, no angel possess these characteristics of lordship that Allah possess. So Allah alone, because of him being the Lord, even look at the first command. O mankind, worship your Lord. Allah mentions himself as being the Lord of mankind, which is the indication that due to Allah's Lordship, he's entitled to all worship. Tawheed of Rububiyyah necessitates Tawheed al-Ibadah. And likewise, the Tawheed of the Asma wa-Sifat, the Islamic monotheism as it relates to the beautiful names and lofty attributes of Allah. Allah is deserving of all worship. Allah is Al-Alim, the All-Knowing. Allah is Al-Hakim, the All-Wise. Allah is Al-Samir, the All-Hearing. Al-Basir, the All-Seeing. Allah is Al-Qahar, the, the Irresistible. Al-Malik, Al-Quddus, Al-Salam. You name it from the names of Allah Azza wa These are the most beautiful names which entail the perfect attributes. So for that, Allah is deserving to be worshipped. No man is deserving of to be worshipped. Can mankind see? Yes. 
but his seeing or his sight is limited. Can mankind hear? Yes. But his hearing is limited. Do we have men that are strong? Yes. But the strength is limited. Do we have men that are wise? Yes. But the wisdom is limited. Every attribute that we possess as men, regardless of what color the person is, there's going to be limitations. There's no man, no man, not even the Asiatic black man, <laughs> no man has complete perfection when it comes to his attributes. There is always limitations and deficiencies. The Asiatic black man can be a man who is highly intelligent, but he doesn't know everything. Doesn't know everything. The proof, you find the Asiatic black man in school learning. Right? The Asiatic black man wasn't born knowing everything. He had to be taught. How can he be allowed? He has to be taught. Allah's knowledge is perfect. A knowledge that was never preceded by ignorance. So how can the Asiatic black man be Allah when his knowledge is preceded by ignorance? And he's still learning as the time goes on. Doesn't know everything. Limitations. Allah is perfect in his names and in his attributes. So therefore, he's entitled to be worshipped alone. So the author, he begins with the most Important of the affairs, the greatest of the commandments, the matter of Tawheed. So he says that when Allah commands with Tawheed and he prohibits a shirk, now he goes to mention the greatest prohibition. The greatest crime that a person can do or commit is to make an evil with Allah. What is shirk? A shirk. هو تسوية غير الله بالله فيما خاص لله. That's a shirk. To make other than Allah equal with Allah in those matters that are specifically for Allah. So this covers lordship, worship, and the names and attributes. Anyone who makes other than Allah equal with Allah in the matter of Allah's lordship. In the matter of Allah having the right to be worshipped alone. In the matter of Allah's beautiful names and lofty attributes, this is an act of polytheism. Shirk is not just worshipping idols. Shirk is to believe that somebody other than Allah is the all-hearing and all-seeing. That's shirk. Shirk is to believe that other than Allah is the creator of everything. 
that shirt along with the most popular category of shirt worshipping of idols and worshipping of the creation so when the person knows that Allah commands with Tawheed and prohibits shirk or he knows that Allah has made buying and selling permissible and he prohibited interest or he knows that Allah has made consuming the wealth of the orphan prohibited and he has allowed for the guardian of the orphan to take from that wealth in a manner that is reasonable if the guardian is poor and in need it becomes obligatory upon him to know what the commandment is. This, here, Barakallah Fikul, goes back to the principle that which is obligatory upon you to do, it is obligatory upon you to know. That which is obligatory upon you to do, it is obligatory upon you to know. Or that which you are responsible for, it is obligatory upon you to know what those responsibilities entail. Because, again, the cultivation of Islam is that we are cultivated upon worshipping Allah based upon knowledge, not ignorance. So before we just embark upon an affair, we must know what we're doing, what we're getting ourselves into. As knowledge precedes statement and action. And this is the point the Sheikh is making here. He says, it is upon the individual upon the person to know what is commanded and to ask in order that he knows. You must, you must know what the commandment is and if you don't know what it is, it's upon you to ask someone who knows. As Allah mentions, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ Ask the people of knowledge when you don't know. Or that which we find in the authentic narration where some companions were on a journey. And one companion, he had some wounds on his body. And he woke up in the morning in a state of major impurity. But he was afraid to take the full bath or cleansing out of fear of the water getting into his wounds and then harming him. So he asked some of those who were present and they responded by saying as long as there is water you have to take the full bath being that you are in a state of major impurity. So he took the full bath and died as a result of that. 
When this news reached the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, قَتَلُوهُ They killed him. Meaning, they didn't physically kill him, but that fatwa, their statement that he has to take the bath if there's water, that was the cause of his death. And that hadith, that statement of the Prophet وسلم, is the proof of the principle المسبب or المتسبب that the one that causes something to happen takes the same ruling as the one who has actually done the act. So you have to be very careful. Don't be the cause of some evil. Because it would be as if you yourself did the evil. So the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned should they not have asked when they did not know? Indeed, the cure to ignorance is the question. The cure for ignorance. Ignorance is a sickness. But what is the cure? Ask. So that you have ill, have knowledge. And likewise, when the person knows that something is prohibited, it is upon the individual to ask. It is upon the individual to ask so that he is upon knowledge. We'll stop at this point, and the people can uh, be ready for the salah. If there are any questions regarding what we covered, inshallah, uh, we open up the floor. Uh, whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah Azawajal. Whatever is incorrect, it is for myself. Yes, sir. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, We do not punish a people until we send a messenger. So generally, ignorance is an excuse. However, ignorance that's not due to negligence. Some people are ignorant due to negligence. Those individuals are not excused. As an example, a person is going to indulge in the matter, or he is indulging in the matter. And then his brother says, Allah said, he says, no, 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 don't tell me because I don't want to be held accountable. That's negligence. He's not excused because he had the ability to learn. The opportunity was there for him to learn, to know right from wrong. But the one who he did not have the ability to know right from wrong, 
There was no way for him to attain the knowledge of right, of right from wrong. This is the person who is not punished for doing something wrong because he didn't know genuinely. He did not know. But those who are ignorant due to negligence, these people are not excused. Wallahu a'ala. Yes. Tayyib, inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. So we'll stop, inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. Subhanakallahu alhamdulillah. Shadu an la ilaha 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 ilaha